The Dallas Cowboys join the divisional playoff party as we get set to preview the four big games on the NFL slate this weekend. And do I have to get into what's next for Tom Brady now that his season is over? Rafael Nadal losing in straight sets to a relative unknown was a shocker down under. What's not surprising is that this could be the beginning of the end for him. An NBA Finals rematch in Boston tonight as the Warriors make their yearly visit. And all that's happening on the ice as I gear up for another wild ride through the sports landscape. It's all coming up, but first... This message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, dropping some info, expansive knowledge while entertaining you guys and gals as I share my thoughts on all that's going on in the sports world as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. It's actually been a quiet sports week. Not much to really wrap your arms around. Of course, there are some things that I'll get to. Predominantly, the NFL playoffs as we now slowly but surely inch closer to the weekend and get ready for the divisional round, which is obviously the best weekend of football that we could ever imagine. I don't care what week in the regular season or even if we look ahead to the conference championships next Sunday. Yes, those are games that we'll all anticipate and look forward to, but nothing beats these four games on this weekend. And now the Dallas Cowboys have punched their ticket to San Francisco as a late game on Sunday, and I'll do a little recap of that before we get into the weekend. The Cowboys, I thought that this was a game that they had to win. We talked about how Tampa has been going uphill all year long, fighting just to win a division. It took them on the penultimate weekend to get there, and when they got to the playoffs, they resembled nothing like we've seen over the last two years to where they won a Super Bowl two years ago and went to the divisional round last year before losing to the Rams, and this year, they just fell flat on their face. But this is more about the Cowboys than it is Tampa. I'm going to get to Tom Brady in a moment. The Cowboys finally got that road playoff victory, especially if your name is Dak Prescott. He was phenomenal in the game. Four touchdowns in the air, including a touchdown on the ground as the Cowboys romped. Now, you do have to wonder about their K-1 
kicker and a one Brett Maher missing not one, not two, not three, but four extra points. And I get it that how many years ago they moved the extra point back to make it a little bit more challenging, but to miss four in a row is daunting. And I'm sure the Cowboy fan, they're going to be holding their breath when it comes to him trying to make a big extra point, whether it's early in the game, somewhere in the middle, or worse, toward the end of a game where it's 28-27 with about four minutes to go, and here he is getting ready to line up for an extra point. I'm sure Cowboy Nation, including my esteemed former partner JD, he is going to be fingers crossed, holding his breath, and wondering whether or not the game's going to be tied as we get to those final minutes of that game. But without that, it was pretty much a flawless and perfect game for the Cowboys and their fans as they can now look ahead to San Francisco. And it really isn't much to discuss other than what I just mentioned. Defense played great. You could talk about the Tampa offense not clicking and really being off kilter, not only just Monday night, but all season long. And with the way the Cowboys performed on the offensive side of the ball, you only hope that they could save some of those points for this coming Sunday when they go up against the Niners. And let's get it over with. Tom Brady, all I have to say is wake me up the morning or even if it's in the middle of the day as to what's going to happen as far as where his next stop's going to be. I doubt that it's going to be retirement. I have not an inkling, just a gut, that Brady will probably resurface in one of these couple of areas, whether it be in Las Vegas with his former offensive coordinator and one Josh McDaniels. It could be in Miami with Stephen Ross because we know how much he's in love with TB12. Is there a wild card? Is there another team? Dare I say even the Jets? As we know, they have a top five defense and they have pieces in place. They're going to get two of their key offensive linemen back and one Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. So maybe that becomes a little enamored for Brady to see if he could try to put the Jets in. I tell you, if he would have come to New York and suit up, and I get it that a lot of the Jet fans are going to have PTSD from Brett Favre back in 2008 when he was a part of the Jets. And even though that they were doing well that season, and if you recall, I believe they were 8-3 and after they beat Tennessee, who at that point was 10-0, and but then their season went down into the tank where they didn't even make it to the playoffs. But I'm sure a lot of the Jet fans will be like, no, we don't want Tom Brady here. But that would almost be like a Mark Messier if you want to revisit the Ranger past back in 1994 when he finally was able to get the Rangers to the Holy Grail, hadn't won a Stanley Cup in 54 years, and he was the guy that delivered that championship. So Brady would pretty much be a parallel if you were to pick the Jets. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I would think he would go the safe route, maybe Vegas with McDaniels, and who knows, maybe even South Florida, the warm weather, all he has to do is just drive down the turnpike from Tampa to strap it up for, what, a 24th season in the NFL. So, one more time, wake me up when that day comes. I don't want to hear any of the speculation about him retiring, about, oh, he's going to go to this team, that team, here's a dark horse team, here's one that's just come out of the woodwork. I don't want to hear it. So, one last time... When the news breaks, and I know I have to be on top of it, people, but when the news breaks, then I'll talk about it. With that said, let's move on to the divisional round, and I'll go in order here, but before I even get to that, 
Here are your storylines, and I have to introduce the one seeds here at this point because the first one that's going to come to mind is the Eagles and how they performed this year. As we all know, they played from in front all year long, got the one seed, and now you have to wonder whether or not how Jalen Hurts is going to be affected by the injury that he's been nursing here over the last month and change. They haven't played an important game since, I'll go as far as Christmas Eve, I get it that the game meant nothing with them in Dallas because you had Gardner Minshew. Didn't play too bad, although he had did have a bad pick late in that game. But because it's been five weeks until they play Saturday night against the Giants, you wonder, does this team have to ratchet up? And I get it. If you're not going to be pumped up for this game, then why play? But because there was so much time off, and I get it that Jalen Hurts did play in the final game of the season against the opponent that they're playing on Saturday night. But now you have to get yourself in playoff mode. And this is where a young coach like Nick Sirianni, the preparation, everything leading up to this week, you got the one seed for a reason, to rest bodies, to get hopefully Lane Johnson, which I'm sure will probably be a game-time decision, their right tackle. But I think a lot of the pressure is going to be on Philly, not because of the opponent and not because they're coming in hot based on what we saw there in Minnesota on Sunday. But just for the psyche of the Eagles, and when you have a big regular season, knowing that you're going to play your first postseason game against a division rival, a bitter rival who's coming right down the turnpike into your building, when you have all that into play, and more importantly, we have not seen Jalen Hurts in the NFL in a big spot like this. And this is where we're going to see the separation from a possible MVP season in the regular season with Jalen Hurts to see if he could translate that here over the course of these next two to three weeks. And that is the big question mark. And to me, that's the number one storyline. We can talk about Kansas City, but they've been down this road a zillion times. So I'll get to them in a minute. Right now, it's about the Eagle psyche, the health of the quarterback, and how the quarterback's going to play in a big spot. Because let's just say, for argument's sake, the Giants who are coming in hot, and let's say they get an early turnover, or if they get the ball first, they march down the field, 7-0, all right, fine, no problem. This is where Sirianni will come in, if he's going to try to get cute, if he's going to try to throw a trick play. If you remember last week in the Viking-Giant game, how on that third and one, why did they have that play where Cousins pitched it off to Jefferson, and then he tried to throw it across the field, trick play, in the second series of the game. Are the Eagles going to do that? Are the Eagles going to try to throw the Giants off kilter? And to me, that would be a mistake. You'd want to stick to your game plan. I understand you may not want to run Jalen Hurts a lot early and often because of that shoulder, and it's going to take some hits there. All this has to come into play. And if the Eagles happen to trail, let's say 14-3 midway through the second quarter, Is Jalen Hurts going to try to thread the needle? Is he going to try to force a pass where he may not do so throughout the course of the regular season because he was playing from ahead most of the time? All this factors in. This isn't Patrick Mahomes that, let's say if they go to a slow start, we've seen that in the postseason in years past. The game against Houston in the divisional round, they were down 24-0. And what did Mahomes do? He put up 51 points when it was all said and done. Or the week after against Tennessee when they were down... I believe off the top of my head it was 14-3, and they came and blew Tennessee's doors off. 
So we know the track record of Mahomes. We have no track record, especially in the playoffs, when it comes to Jalen Hurts. And that's going to be huge going into this first game against the Giants. That's number one. Number two is Kansas City. And not that they stumbled down the stretch, but they did have some games where they had to sweat it out. In particular, that game in Houston, where they had to go into overtime and win a game there. Of course, the week after that against Denver, they had to sweat that game out at home where Denver actually played pretty well. And we all know Denver had an awful season. So Kansas City, now as they exhale and they have to ramp it up against the Jacksonville team who went into their building earlier this year. And Jacksonville did not play bad. It was 27-17. I get it that the Chiefs had the game in control pretty much from opening kick. But Jacksonville's coming in with a little gas in their tank. And here's the one thing about Jacksonville that I will say when it comes to them in playoff runs. The one year that they were 14-2 and had the one seed, and if you recall, that was the year that they destroyed the Dolphins in the divisional round, 61-7 or whatever it was. And then they lost to Tennessee, and that was the year where all three of their losses were against the Titans. But in their other playoff years, 96, that magical run where they won the wildcard game in Buffalo, and then the following week they went to Denver, as a one seed, 13-3, and three, and Jacksonville was 9-7, and seven, and they upset them before losing in New England in the championship game. And then just in 2017, where they beat the Bills in the opening round at home, went to Pittsburgh and upset them, and had a 23-10 to 10 lead in the fourth quarter in Foxborough with about 10 minutes to go, and they spit the bit. So Jacksonville has been able to go on these playoff runs. Now, I understand they have not gone to a Super Bowl or it hasn't really amounted to anything huge when it's all said and done, because as we all know, it's Super Bowl, last team standing or bust. But could this be where Jacksonville, a little bit of nerves to start the game, as we saw with the four interceptions in the first half for Trevor Lawrence? Maybe he got that out of his system, and now that they're on the road, playing with house money, knowing that if they compete and they're in the game, second half, and maybe even into the fourth quarter, that they have a shot to win, where a lot of the pressure is going to be on Kansas City, as we saw last year in the championship game against the Bengals, when they had a big lead and Mahomes had a terrible second half. So we've seen Kansas City in their building so many times where they have not played a road game in the postseason, which is unfathomable to think that throughout this Patrick Mahomes-Andy Reid run, they have not had a playoff road game. But you do have to wonder whether or not they're going to be ready, as we expect. But can they erase the stench of the championship game last year and knowing that they're just going to, in all likelihood, have one home game in their building? Because remember, if Buffalo beats Cincinnati, that game is going to be in Atlanta. Now, if Cincinnati wins the game, then Kansas City will host the AFC championship game in their building. So I'm sure once their game is over around 7.45 Saturday night, they're going to look to that 3 p.m. Cincinnati at Buffalo and hope that the Bengals, and funny enough, they're going to hope that the Bengals will win because they'll host a game at Arrowhead. But the funny thing is they're 0-3 against the Bengals here over the last two years. So it's almost as if pick your poison. Do you want to play at a neutral site against a team that beat you earlier at home in the regular season in the Buffalo Bills or had the game in your building where you sleep in your beds but a team that you're 0-3 over the last 14 months 
Fascinating to say the least. And when we look at the divisional round, I know we talked a bit about Jacksonville, Kansas City, so I guess I let the cat out of the bag in that regard. I can see this being a game where Jacksonville hangs around. I don't think they're going to be as sloppy as they were against the Chargers there last Saturday night. I think they're going to play pretty well. I know they're going to need some breaks, some turnovers. Maybe if it's a scenario where they get up early, will they be able to put the proverbial foot on the Chiefs next? Because that's going to be important. As I mentioned before, in that Super Bowl run where they spotted Houston 24 points and then 11 points for the Tennessee Titans. So Kansas City, I know that they're going to be raring to go. It's all a matter of what Jacksonville does and how they execute here. And you know Doug Peterson is going to take chances. You know he's not going to be afraid of the moment. We will probably talk about it on Monday where he's going to make a boneheaded decision or something that I wouldn't have done, but it's going to work a la the two-point conversion from the one-yard line where the safe bet would just be kick the extra point so you could play for a tie, but uh -uh, he was going for the win there. And as it worked out, he looks like a genius. That's what we're going to have to wait and see with Peterson come come Saturday. And we know that Andy Reid, with his clock management at times, he could certainly fold up like a cheap suit. And then you have to question Andy Reid again. We all know he's going to the Hall of Fame. We all know that he finally got his Super Bowl win a few years back. But we know that in tight spots, Andy Reid has not come through like coconuts and palm trees and bright sunshine and rainbows either. How I look at this game is that Jacksonville, I could see them playing a lot better. I think the game's going to be a little bit closer than a lot of people think. And that's pretty much how the postseason has gone, except for the Dallas-Tampa game. Everybody thought that that was going to be the game of the weekend. Mind you, it was a Monday night, and that was the worst of all six wildcard games. So I think this game's going to be close. I could see Kansas City pulling away late. I could see this being a 34-24 type game, where Kansas City will either host in the AFC Championship game at home or have to go to Atlanta to play the Buffalo Bills. The Saturday night game, Giants and Eagles, as I mentioned, it's all going to be not only on the right shoulder, but also between the ears of a one Jalen Hurts. Because let's say if he takes an early shot or if he's tentative while running and he slides or maybe he slides a little bit too soon, who knows if the Giants are going to try to take some shots, and I'm not saying cheap shots, but to try to get that advantage, to get in his head, to lay him on the turf, or to get after him, to want to sack him and see how tentative, or if he has happy feet, or tries to force a pass, as I mentioned before, that's going to be indicative of how this game's going to be played. And if the Giants are in front for, let's say, the early portion of this game, or as we get into the second quarter, and maybe past halftime, to where they have a 17-10 lead, What's going to happen with number one in green and white, or he may they may wear black, who knows with these uniform changes, but this is what we're going to see and find out about Jalen Hurts, the postseason performer, because we've seen what he's done in the regular season, but now this is where the lights are shining even extra bright and a lot of the pressure and everything that I just mentioned earlier when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, in a press conference earlier this week, when he was asked, Do you think the Giants are going to have a bounty out on you considering with the shoulder? And he followed that up by saying that every week is a bounty game for me because everybody's going to be after me no matter if it's the Giants, if it's the 
Buccaneers, if it's the Arizona Cardinals, doesn't matter which team. So he said the right thing in that regard, not to get a firestorm, especially for some bulletin board material, but I understand a lot of people like the Giants this week, based on what we saw last week in Minnesota. Something tells me that the Eagles are going to come out firing. I'm still concerned about Hurts. I'm not 100% sold on him as far as him being able to translate his play into the postseason. Now, if they get out in front the way they have pretty much all year long, then, of course, all bets are off. But I just feel that this is a game where Hurts is going to have his moments where he's going to play bad. But also, I could see the Giants getting laxed. I could see the Eagles then starting to fire their offense up. And I wouldn't be surprised if this comes down to a field goal type game. And this is with the Eagles blowing them out at MetLife earlier this year. What was it, 48-21? Some obnoxious score. And then the last game of the year, you can't even count because you didn't see half of the Giant players, or at least their starters, in the lineup for this game. So I can see this being a close game. These teams know each other. I'm going to say Philadelphia 26, Giants 21. I know a field goal game, I get it, but I can see the Giants trying to come from behind, and even I could see the Eagles get that go-ahead touchdown late. Would I be surprised if it comes down to a field goal? No, but I think there'll be enough wiggle room for the Eagles to eke this game out, and I feel it's going to be within one score, at least within a touchdown. As for Sunday, I think the Cincinnati-Buffalo game is the best of the four. If you had to rank them, I would say Cincinnati-Buffalo 1, Dallas-San Francisco 2, Giants-Eagles, and then Jacksonville-Kansas City. Because I think a lot of people look at Jacksonville, if they were to upset Kansas City, that would be the shock of the four. But Cincinnati-Buffalo, to me, with everything that's happened, and granted that was in Cincinnati, but these two teams revisiting... Obviously not finishing that game on the Monday night with DeMar Hamlin. Hamlin, who has now been around his teammates a lot and been at the practice facility throughout the course of the week. So that, I'm sure, has been a great morale boost for the team. And how I look at this game and what it's really going to boil down to is which quarterback is going to deliver. Now, I know Joe Burrow last week, as I mentioned against the Ravens, they were good enough. They did not play particularly well. They hung on for dear life, as we saw there at the end. But I really, truly feel that Joe Cool and the experience that he got last year in the postseason, getting to the Super Bowls, we know, and Josh Allen, who's played in big games in the playoffs, so I'm sure they're not going to blink when there's any pressure. But we've seen how sloppy the Bills have played in big moments. And yes, they could get away with that against the Dolphins. And maybe they could get away with that with a lesser opponent. But Cincinnati's battle-tested. And Cincinnati has a quarterback that's not going to blink either. This isn't Skylar Thompson that the Bills are going to have to worry about or have to even concern themselves with. This is a guy that's been to a Super Bowl and knows what it takes to win. And will do it at all costs. So if that means he's under siege, if that means he has to run for a first down, if that means he has to gut out a game 
and his uniform is dirty by the time we get halfway through the second quarter, then so be it. As we saw last year in the divisional round against Tennessee when he got sacked nine times and still gutted out the game to where they won in Tennessee. And I understand they're not going to have Jonah Williams. He's going to be out. And their line is pretty much in shambles. But their line was in shambles last year and they were a few plays from winning a Super Bowl. And the Buffalo Bill defense, this isn't Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley, etc. And Von Miller, obviously he's not walking through that door to line up there when the Bengals have their first offensive series there come Sunday. I think the Bengals are going to gut out this game. And this is going to be, I think, just an all-out battle. I don't want to use the word war. This is going to be what we would expect from a game in January against two high-level, top-notch opponents in the AFC. And you could even argue, for some, I understand people in Kansas City, they're going to murmur when they hear this, but you can even argue that the winner of this game could go to the Super Bowl. And people in Kansas City, they're probably driving off the road right now, for those who are listening, if I'm ever so fortunate to have people in Kansas City listen to this podcast. But I say that because Kansas City, we know their pedigree, we know their track record, but Cincinnati's beaten them three times, and it'd be a shock if they beat the Chiefs for a fourth straight time, but they're not going to be afraid of the Chiefs. And Buffalo has already beaten the Chiefs this year as well. So why should they be afraid of going up against Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, all of their offensive firepower? Why should they even be worried? I think the Bengals, when it's all said and done, this could be a classic divisional game. I'm going to say Bengals 30, Bills 27. And then the final game, and this is intriguing too because this was a rematch of last year's wildcard game and we all know how that ended with Dak Prescott and not giving the ball to the umpire or to the referee and having it place and the clock runs out down 23-17, etc. Now we know that the Cowboys are going in hot as a pistol. We know their confidence is sky high. But we also know the Niners are motivated. Their quarterback has been a superhero here over the last five, six weeks. And if there's any advantage that we look at this game, the Niners are going to have eight days off between when they last played, when they finished against the Seahawks there Saturday night or late Saturday afternoon, their local time. And remember the Cowboys, although they had a rocking chair game on Monday night, but by the time they finished their game and landed in Dallas, probably somewhere 3, 4 in the morning, the Niners have that advantage to where they've already had two days rest before the Cowboys touch down in Dallas-Fort Worth. So if you want to look at maybe a couple days rest extra, that's something that maybe early on in the game we could look at. Where the flip side is that the Cowboys coming off of that game, they're going right in with a little bit more steam, a little bit more maybe even aggression when it comes to their offense and maybe even their defense for that matter too, where having that extra day or so for the Niners, maybe they're on their heels a little bit. Maybe they don't come out as firing as they would. Just little advantages that maybe we could take a peek at beneath the surface. 
Not to say this is a house money game for the Cowboys, because once they get deep into the playoffs, there's no such thing as a house money game, especially if you're the Cowboys. But knowing that they finally won a road game, and again, we have to remember the opponent. This isn't a Tampa team that was Super Bowl bound or had a deep playoff run in them. So you want to twist that as a playoff upset only because based on seeding, they had to go on the road, Tampa was at home? Uh Uh-uh, not this guy. I'm not sold on that. But I would think that the Cowboys should be able to play fast and loose. We know about the weapons that the Niners have, so their defense is really going to be, I'm sure as a right, as I speak, the defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, who knows the Niners pretty well from his days going back to Seattle, and that's many years ago, I understand, but he's going to have a tall order to try to slow down, forget about even the quarterback, the tight end, the running back, the wide receivers, they have a plethora of offensive weapons that if you're a defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn's got to be up in the middle of the night, bleary-eyed with 20 cups of coffee and empty coffee cups at his desk to try to figure out how he's going to slow down his Niner offense. Now, the one thing I'll say is that they have to. And I understand that the offense is tailored for the ball to get out of Purdy's hands real quick or to get the ball to McCaffrey Ayuk, Debo Samuel, etc. It's not as if Purdy's going to take a seven-step drop back, survey the field, and try to chuck it in the air. That's not their offensive game plan. But whatever they could do to disrupt the flow of their offense, that if Purdy gets the ball out in 2.3 seconds, then the Cowboy defensive line and their linebackers, a la Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons, has to get there in 1.8 seconds. And that's what they're going to have to do, especially late in the game, fourth quarter, because we all know pass rush late in the game is paramount to winning in the postseason. I think Dallas has a puncher's chance in this game. And I'm sure that the Cowboys will have their moments where they're going to play well and maybe be out in front. But the Niners with their weapons and Shanahan, and this is going to be an interesting game for Shanahan too, because as much of an offensive genius that he is, he's going to have to show all his cards here. And he's going to have to apply a lot of pressure on that Cowboy defense. And of course, you can't forget the secondary, in particular, Trayvon Diggs. But I'm sure he's going to have to empty out all the tricks just to get past this game. Because the Cowboys are going to try to match point for point. And I think they could. Do I see this being a high-scoring game? I could see this being in the mid-20s. I do see the Niners prevailing. And I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to a game-winning kick. I could see this being similar to Buffalo and Cincinnati. I'm not going to say 30-27, to but I'll do a strange score. I'll say 29-27. Because I'm sure there's going to be an opportunity where you have a missed two-point conversion, and then the score gets all wonky. Maybe even, you know, 28-26 or 26-22, something like that. But I think the Niners will prevail when it's all said and done. And before I move on, if I had to take a look into my crystal ball, I know that the networks, especially CBS and Fox, if you're CBS, you're hoping that Kansas City wins that game on Saturday. Because Jacksonville at Cincinnati or Jacksonville at Buffalo would be... Now, everybody's going to watch 
it's not as if the ratings are going to drop by any stretch. And CBS, this year, they actually have the late game. So they have the 630 window for the AFC Championship game where the NFC has the early window. But if Jacksonville's in that game, uh, CBS, I don't care how they spin it or what they say, they want Kansas City in the game. And I would think that they would actually want, of course, Buffalo, Kansas City can't go wrong, but I would think that they want to have the game in Kansas City. So I would want them to maybe even think that Cincinnati and Kansas City, a rematch of last year's game, is what they would look for. Because although the rating's going to be through the roof, whether it's Cincinnati or Buffalo, but the game in Atlanta is just going to have a just a different feel. And I don't care if you bust half of the Bill fans and half of the Kansas City fans on the organization's dime. It's still not going to have the same. It's indoors. It's in a building where it's going to be a fast track, controlled environment, like I said on Monday's podcast, to where, who knows, that game is going to be like playing Madden. You want to have the elements. You want to have the cold. You want to have maybe snow. You want to have rain. That's what football is all about. So I think maybe CBS would want Cincinnati, Kansas City in that regard. But of course, if you've got Buffalo in the game, uh, it's going to be a ratings bonanza. In the NFC, I think they would want New York and Dallas or even Philly and Dallas. Obviously with the markets, Giants and Dallas would be <laughs> would be enormous. And that game obviously would be in Dallas. Think about this. You have the five seed and the six seed going up against one another, and Dallas would have a home game. Dallas, Philly, you can't go wrong. And same for San Francisco. I think if you got San Francisco at Philadelphia, everybody wants to see that game, and that would be another giant ratings boost. But I don't think you could go wrong with any of those games, even if it happens to be the Giants in San Francisco, because then you could go back to the NFC Championship game in 1990 when the Niners were trying to go for three in a row. Matt Barr with the five field goals. You could bring up that game. You could bring up a lot of those 80s Niner Giant games. I know the one that gets forgotten is the, what was it, 45-7 game where Ricky Waters had five touchdown runs in the 93 game, which was actually the last game for both Phil Sims and Lawrence Taylor. So you have a lot of those games for nostalgia purposes, whether it's Giants at... San Francisco, but I think you can't go wrong with any of those matchups. I think that if you put True Serum into Fox, they would want Giants-Dallas or even Dallas-Philly. Of course, you can't go wrong with San Francisco-Philly either, and I think that's what the football fan would want. But NFC, you're fine. AFC, you just don't want Jacksonville anywhere near the game. And that's no offense to Duval County to the Jaguars, etc., but that's just how it is. Jacksonville is on nobody's radar when it comes to the NFL, although everybody will watch. I get it, but again, they don't want Jacksonville anywhere near that title game. All right, let me turn my attention to a few other things. Not a lot going on, like I mentioned in sports. Yeah, big news down under, which I'll get to with the Australian Open, but NBA, you have a rematch of the NBA Finals tonight, second go-around, because as we saw in December, where Boston went to Golden State, and Golden State had one of their better victories of the year in that Saturday Showcase Showdown game on ABC. Tonight on TNT, Warriors, Celtics, Celtics coming to this game winning, what, six in a row? 
And they've been playing very well. They had a big weekend in Charlotte as they won back-to-back games there where Jason Tatum had 51 in the game on Martin Luther King Day. So the Celtics are riding high, and we know that they're playing well. They actually have some separation, and it's actually seven in a row that they won. My apologies. Where between them, Milwaukee, and the Sixers, they were hovering around a game, two games back. Now they have a four-game deficit over both the Bucks. Sixers and Nets, four in the loss, five overall against the Brooklyn Nets. So the Celtics looking as if they're going to be the top dog here. We know a lot could happen between now and the end of the season, but we're 45 games in for the Eastern Conference champions or the defending champs. And now having Golden State, which I'm sure they want to give some payback. There were some quotes earlier this week with Draymond Green talking about how he was out of focus a little bit. Lost his concentration in Boston because of the crowd and how they responded with the F.U. Draymond quotes and the, uh, based on what he said, with the N-word being thrown at him. And of course, we know the history with Boston and we would hope that they would be a little bit better than that. You want to chant F.U. Draymond? I understand it's not classy. I understand that's not good when you have kids in the building. All right, but don't go as far as with the racial epithets. Come on, people. We're better than that. But let's see. What kind of environment that's going to be. I'm sure the Celtic fan, they're going to be salivating. Waiting to get another shot and another crack at the Warriors. It's not going to mean much in the grand scheme of things. I don't care if they blow them out 150 to 80. Nothing's going to exact the revenge of winning in a final and beating them again. Which I doubt that's going to happen. That's not to knock the Warriors. But I don't think the Warriors are going to make it. Considering that they've also been playing uphill all year long. But that's a game that, of course, I'll be watching and we'll keep an eye on just from the standpoint of not only the atmosphere and some of the things that Draymond said earlier this week and how that all plays into tonight's game where I'm sure the Warriors are going to be pumped up, ready to go to see what that environment is going to play out as they renew their finals matchup from last year. And besides that, the Grizzlies have been... Super hot. They've won 11 in a row. And it's interesting because even with that winning streak, you would think that they'd be at the top of the Western Conference. By any case, that's not the case because the Nuggets have won eight in a row in their own right. 32 and 13. Memphis just a half game behind them. As we've seen some separation out West where, remember, just about a month ago, you had those 11 teams, and I've talked about this, seems like ad infinitum here over the last few weeks, where... The top 11 seeds, including that 7 through 10 range where we have the playing tournament, that was all separated by three, four, four and a half games. Now, it's 10 and a half games, but even more so when we look at the top six, nine and a half games. But when we look at six through even 13, think about this, people. And 13 is where the Lakers end up, and they lose to Sacramento last night. The Jazz, Warriors, Clippers, Thunder, Minnesota T-Wolves, that's 6-10. through 10. And then Portland, Phoenix, and the Lakers, they are all separated by two and a half games. So if that's going to be a race to the playing tournament or to the sixth seed, and of course you want to stay out of that 7-10 through 10 range because you put yourself in jeopardy of being out of the real tournament. So as we've passed the halfway point and we're still about a month away from the All-Star break, That's what we're looking at here in the NBA when we break down both of these conferences. And the East, pretty much status quo. I won't get too deep into that. But to me, with the Grizzlies playing 
as hot as they are, going on a dozen consecutive wins, and the Nuggets also matching them pretty much victory for victory, and what we've seen out in the East where the Celtics have some separation up top, that's pretty much the NBA in a big giant nutshell. And speaking of the Celtics, there was a loss in the Celtic family as Chris Ford, who was part of the 81 championship when they beat the Rockets and later on was a coach of the Celtics in the 90s, died yesterday, complications of a heart attack. He had suffered a heart attack earlier in the month and then succumbed at the age of 74. Shooting guard, he was the first player to ever make a three-point shot when it was instituted back in 1979. As I mentioned, coached those early 90s teams when Jimmy Rogers, and this was post-Casey Jones, and before ML Carr took over, that was before Rick Pitino came in, when we had Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, etc. So he was the bridge leading into Rick Pitino, where I know he was sandwiched by Jimmy Rogers, as well as ML Carr, as I mentioned. But he wore number 42 as a Celtic, died at the age of 74, so thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to his family, friends, the Celtic family, NBA, etc. And that's what I pretty much have as far as the association goes. NHL, Evander Kane, I bring him up because if you recall, had that tumultuous offseason with the Sharks, had all the off the ice stuff with his ex-wife and gambling and just a mess that was happening in Evander Kane's life. He signed with the Oilers. They had a deep run last year, actually played pretty well in the postseason and then signed with the Oilers this year. If you recall, he had a skate go over his wrist. Gruesome scene to where it looked like he was going to be out three to four months, but he's actually been back in the lineup and came back a couple of nights ago in a victory, and it's good to see him come back and a speedy recovery to him. Again, anytime a skate goes over any body part, whether we've seen in the past, whether it's calf, Muscles, as we saw there many years ago, I think with a Detroit Red Wing player, that just uh, awful sight. Now I'm going back three decades with Clint Malarchuk. Remember when he got that skate blade across his juggler, and thankfully they saved his life on the ice. His blood was just squirting out of his neck. Borges Salming, the dearly departed, who just passed away, what was it, about a month, maybe six weeks ago. He had that skate go across his face where he had 200 stitches. So we've seen... Several of these incidents, even Brian Burrard, if you remember, with the Islanders, had that skate go across his eye, and oh, that was another just awful sight to see. So throughout the years, we've seen just these terrible incidents on the ice when it comes to skates, but for Evander Kane, back in the lineup, very good to see, and let's see if Edmondson can get on track, as they've actually played pretty well here over the last week and change, and we've always talked about the Edmonton Oilers with the best player, and by far, I think he's going to be the MVP again in a one, Connor McDavid. But with Kane now in the mix and with Edmonton winning four in a row as they try to stabilize out there in the Pacific to try to get one of those top four spots to be a team maybe to make it as a wild card or if they get inch a little bit closer as they're only five points away from the top spot in the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll keep an eye on that. We talked about Seattle, the Kraken, and for all the good things that I said about them on Monday, since then they've lost two in a row. In fact, the game that Kane came back to was against Seattle that they lost in Edmonton, and then they lost on Martin Luther King Day at home to Tampa. So who knows? Maybe I threw a little jinx with that seven-game road trip that they won and was historic in the National Hockey League. So now they've stubbed their toe here. Let's see if they get themselves back on the beam to continue to play well as they have all year long, or do they now hit a little tailspin 
throughout the course of a long season. That remains to be seen. So we'll see what happens there. Besides that, the Devils have played a little bit better. They've actually won five in a row. Remember, they got off to that hot start and then cooled off considerably. But now they played well to their only one point behind the Carolina Hurricanes in the Metropolitan. We know the Bruins continue to be as hot as they possibly can be. They beat the Islanders last night. Their record is 35-5-4. And and with the way they played this regular season, they have to win the Cup this year. And remember, they brought back David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron, the two mainstays going back to their Stanley Cup victory 11 years ago, which will now be, now I think about a dozen. That was in the 2010-2011 season. It's Cup or bust for this team. Now, I understand they could hit some skids here and not play well, but they've been consistent all year long to the point where if they go ahead and have a season where they're reaching 130 points and 60-some-odd wins, anything short of a cup victory is going to be a major disappointment. I don't care what you say. Once again, my former esteemed radio partner and cousin JD, I know he's got to be giddy right about now, but he would even have to admit that if we don't win the cup this year, then what was this all for? So we'll certainly keep our eyes on them as we have been pretty much all year. And the Lightning have played well. They've won five in a row. And the only reason why I bring them up is because of their pedigree over the last few years. And that's a team that you have to pay attention to no matter how many games they played, no matter them not winning a third straight Stanley Cup, etc. But the Lightning are always going to be formidable and always going to be part of the discussion when we talk about teams making a deep, long, and winning a Stanley Cup. So that's what I have there with the... NHL quickly and I should have pivoted from the NBA to college basketball because I didn't discuss this Monday obviously it was a lot about the wild card round and sprinkled in some other things but you had 11 ranked teams lose over the weekend in college basketball which now makes you think whether or not March Madness and we're still two months away from that but it makes you think What teams are we going to have to look out for here when it comes to the tournament? And right now, you could throw all these names in a hat and pull them out. And we understand that the cream's going to rise to the top when it's all said and done. But just look at the top four teams in the country right now. And when we think, historically, of course, you're thinking teams like North Carolina. You're thinking teams like Duke. Kansas, who is in the top four and actually right now is ranked second in the nation. So they are playing to what we thought they would be considering they're coming off of a national championship. But when we look at some of these other teams like Purdue, who lost to Rutgers earlier this year, as we saw, but they've maintained and have kept themselves in the discussion for being one of the top four seeds and maybe a one seed coming out of a region when we get to the Selection Sunday in the tournament. Alabama, another team that's played very well this year. Houston, the Cougars. Maybe we could maybe have some visions of Fislam Ajama going back 40 years ago with Hakeem Olajuwon, Michael Young, Clyde Drexler, etc. But the mainstays, Villanova, as I mentioned, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, where are these teams? That's the type of year we've had in college basketball so far to where the aforementioned Cougars, Boilermakers, Crimson Tide, and the Jayhawks 
who knows who's going to be the number one team overall when it's all said and done once we get to around St. Paddy's Day when we could fill out our brackets and get ready for a tournament that's going to last three and a half weeks and see who's going to come out on top. Still have a ways to go, and I couldn't even tell you as I've been slowly but surely starting to pay attention and get the college basketball into my consciousness because this is going to be one that's tough to handicap here. Because when you look at the top 25, these are teams, when I took a look at this the other day, there are teams that are up there that made me thought, am I looking at a college football ranking? Or am I looking at Division Two? What am I looking at here? Yeah, TCU ranked in the top 25. I said, wait a minute. The Horned Frogs just got blown out there in a championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. But of course, we're talking about the basketball team. As they're in the top 25. Rutgers, as I just talked about, when have they been in the top 25? Florida Atlantic, Charleston, these are teams that, wait a second, what are they even doing being mentioned in the top 25? Well, as of January 19th, and who knows what's going to happen in the days and weeks to come, but right now you have a handful of teams that you look at and say, wait a minute, what the hell are they doing here belonging in the ranks of teams like UCLA, Gonzaga, Virginia, Arizona, even UConn, who lost to Seton Hall last night, had a big lead and they fell apart. And UConn, a lot of people thought that they could be a team that would compete to be in the Final Four or maybe even for a national championship. And how all these teams, like I mentioned, and I understand they're at the bottom of the top 25, but Charleston, 18, Rutgers, 23, Florida Atlantic, 24, TCU is ranked 14th. Some of these teams that you wouldn't even imagine being in the top 25. And like I mentioned, the Blue Bloods, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, they're nowhere to be found. And as we know, Duke and North Carolina played each other in a Final Four last year. Kentucky, they're trying to find their way over the last couple of years. And John Calipari, he doesn't know what to do with himself. So this could be the ultimate wild card this coming March, when it comes to the tournament, when it comes to some of these teams, and we would expect as we get closer to February, late February, the conference tournaments, the championships, etc., we're going to have a better idea as to which teams are going to be, ah, championship medal, championship battle-tested, or just ready to make a run to cut down the nets and be that last team standing. You know I'll be on top of it. Just a little food for thought now because as we got a lot of NFL and everything else that's going to be sprinkled in over the next few weeks once we get past this NFL season and then we could really embrace the college basketball season. But just thought I'd drop that little nugget for those out there who are wondering, Jay Reels, what's happening with college basketball? Can you fill us in? Well, hopefully I did that and then some. And then lastly, down under with the Australian Open, there's not much to discuss other than one giant storyline, because it's pretty much been chalk on both the men's and women's side, Coco Goff and Iga Swiatek, and a lot of these guys have been able to move on to the next round, and girls, so you don't have a lot there, but if the name Mackenzie McDonald didn't ring a bell or wonder who the hell that was, well, he certainly put himself, maybe not in the Position to make a deep and long run here at the Australian Open, but by him beating Rafael Nadal in straight sets there the other day, 
And Nadal, as it was known, he's been fighting a hip issue where now he's going to be out six to eight weeks, which is going to be good for him because he doesn't have to worry about the French Open until the latter part of May. And we all know the French Open is his domain. But now it begs the question, considering last year with the ab muscle that he had to bow out of the Wimbledon tournament where Nick Kyrgios went on to the final and lost to Novak Djokovic, we saw what happened there in the U.S. Open, losing to Tiafo and him not being 100%. And now ousted here in the first week of the Australian Open, the defending champ, and him being out for six to eight weeks. You do have to put this question up to think that, is this the beginning of the end for the great Rafa? And I understand we got to get to Roland Garros and to the French Open to see whether or not. But of course, we all know that's his surface. The guy's won that tournament, what, 13, 14 times? So we may have to take the next tournament or the next Grand Slam with a grain of salt because we know how dominant he is on that surface. But as far as him, whether it's on grass, hard court, and maybe even with the clay court, that remains to be seen. But this could be the start of the decline. And we could probably even arguably say that we saw the decline going back last summer out at the Old England Club. Because ever since he won those first two tournaments last year, the Australian and the French, he has not been the same. 36 years of age, he'll be 37 in June, right when the French Open will conclude. And for all that he's put his body through and for the warrior spirit and for just the gutty, gritty, when you look at his whole career and how he's been able to perform, Father Time is starting to catch up to him. I see this being the beginning of the end. And I understand that he could be 100% come late May and dominate for two weeks and then he'll say, aha, look at me now. And I could say yes, understandably, rightfully so, but... That is his home. That is his surface. That is his court. As we know with the French Open. But after that, knowing that Wimbledon is less than a month or right about a month after that tournament or if he does finish those two weeks, three and a half weeks later, he's back at it at Wimbledon. And then two months after that, the U.S. Open. I don't know. This could be the beginning, and who knows, with Djokovic, just one championship behind him all time for men's, and he could get that at the Australian, and that's his surface, and he loves playing down under. Who knows? That could be fascinating to know that Djokovic and Nadal, if they're both tied at 22, who's going to reach 23, and that will be the opening storyline going into that tournament if that's how it plays out. But I really do think that not only is Rafael Nadal's days and best days behind him, and yes, he may have that one shining moment here in the middle part of spring, but I really truly feel and believe and think that this is going to be it for him. If he does have one more shining moment, it's going to be in the next three or four months. After that, all bets are off. And I love Nadal. Everything that I mentioned, his spirit, his will, etc. I know he's not in that pantheon. He's not Tiger. He's not Jordan. Granted that he has all these men's titles, but again, it is tennis. Tennis 
unfortunately gets tossed aside, unlike the team sports or an individual sport like golf, because of what Tiger, he was transcendent. Nadal's an all-time great, but not transcendent. And therefore, the last of the great Nadal, we may have already seen, unless he does have that one last moment that we could possibly see here in the next few months. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, to be a listener, and for the sports fan in your life. If you haven't passed it on to them, to him, her, etc., please do so. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars. Please do so. Let's increase the visibility, like I mentioned at the very top. Take a screenshot on social media, send it to me. Again, to the one person that you think would... Love to hear what it is I have to say about what goes on in the sports. And I talk about everything, people, as you just heard. I'm not just talking football. I'm not just talking basketball. I talk about it all. And I do it in roughly an hour. So your participation, definitely not taken for granted. But if you can please subscribe, rate, review, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on my socials, you could do so at the following. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. And by email, thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, hit me up and I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy.com slash Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this endeavor. The production, upkeep of the website, the equipment, to have this experience into this microphone to your earbuds or speakers that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Sports has been my life since birth. Because whether it's critiquing, praising, sharing my thoughts, opinions, analysis with passion, fire, fury, and energy on anything and everything. That happens in the world of the diamond, ice, Gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.